Welcome to the Our Scottish Future podcast. Our Scottish Future is a new campaign that fights for a better Scotland within a reformed United Kingdom. We believe the problem with Scottish politics isn't when we seek to do things differently, it's when we don't cooperate when it's in the Scottish people's interest to do so. So we want to build a more cooperative UK and we believe we need changes in Westminster to do exactly that. This podcast will highlight how we can build that more cooperative UK with interviews, conversations and debate. Please do have a listen and recommend it to a friend. Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham are the Metro Mayors of Greater Manchester and Liverpool City Region. They kindly took time out to reflect on their work, on the nature of the UK, on how their cities can work more closely with cities and towns in Scotland to the benefit of all of us. Steve, you're the Mayor of Liverpool City Region. What do you think you've been able to achieve as a Mayor and as a region because you're directly elected? Well, I think the first thing is that we've got what London have had for a number of years, and that is a single point of contact, one voice for the 1.6 million people in the Liverpool City region. So, Andy, I mean, there's obviously competition between Liverpool and Manchester, (laughs) but what about uh, the Greater Manchester area? What what do you think, um, in addition to uh, everything that Steve's talking about, you're going to be able to add to, to what's happening in Manchester and in the Greater region? Well, we've always worked closely together, Gordon. So, you know, the viewers of Granada television are used to seeing us appear together. And we didn't go down the the competitive path, if you like. I mean, I used to joke uh, if Steve, you know, we, we got on fine, but if Steve ever disagreed with me, I'd build a wall on the Wigan St. Helens border and make him pay for the, uh, for the building of it. Um, but it's never happened, does it? We've never fallen out. We're great friends. And we've deliberately kind of stood often side by side to give the northwest of England a much stronger voice on the national stage. And I think we've achieved it, haven't we? So there was the rail crisis, wasn't there, of 2018. We, um, you know, we, we were there speaking out for, for the passengers. They saw it, they felt it, and I think you know, that's what mayors can do. I think they can get parts of the country heard that have always struggled in a London-centric world. And do you feel you're both uh, working because there is so much dissatisfaction with the way the centre doesn't listen and doesn't consult, and that you are uh, really the voice that is needed so that people have a stronger sense of place and feel that they're represented properly? I, I read a study, and um, Liverpool University did it, and it, it identified that the England, as part of the UK, is the most politically centralised democracy in mm-hmm. Europe, and yet we've got the most unbalanced economy in the OECD. And so are those two things connected or are they uh, intertwined? And I believe that one is a consequence of the other. Yeah. That, that London yeah. centricity that Andy's speaking about means that areas like ours have not had the opportunity to reach their full potential. And that's why devolution is so important to areas like ours. And, and Andy, you, I mean, you see Britain as unbalanced because you've got congestion and you've got high house prices and you've got uh, lots of uh, pressure on uh, uh, resources in the south and yet you've got uh, the possibility of developing both stronger economies, more jobs in the north and, and Britain could be more balanced. It definitely could. I mean, we still are struggling with the effects of deindustrialization. Um, if you go back to the uh, 70s and 80s, um, some of our places have recovered, others haven't. Um, and the pandemic has 
shone a pretty brutal spotlight on the inequality in the country. The case rates and sadly the death rates have been far higher in the north of England than in the south. And I think that's a reflection of the insecurity of people's jobs up in the north. You know, it's the case that people are in jobs where if you don't carry on working, even if you're ill or asked to self-isolate, you won't get paid. And consequently, you know, there was higher higher case numbers in our, in our part of the world. So, you know, I think we both feel this very strongly, don't we? You know, that the country hasn't been fair to uh, to the north as a whole, but particularly to, to Liverpool, City Region, Greater Manchester. And it's our job now to, to sort of bring that, that fairness, that levelling up that the government uh, talks about. I, I think the drive to net zero is actually an opportunity to re-industrialise the north of England. Steve's got plans for a a tidal barrier on the Mersey, which if he brings it off, would be would be world-leading. We are doing things with green hydrogen. I'm developing a plan for the country's first large carbon-neutral public transport system. So the North, we, we are getting the plans together now, and the spotlight's very much on the government to see whether or not it will back uh, back us uh, in making these changes happen. So what, what are the powers that you both need to become stronger centres of economic and local initiative? Money, I presume, is is something, but also powers. Yeah, yeah we've got um, some power, um, and we use them. And, and to tell you the truth, um, Gordon, I've, I've said um, that Scousers learn to read between the lines before they read words. And in my devolution agreement, it tells me lots of things to do, but it doesn't tell me anywhere things that I shouldn't do. So I'm doing the things perhaps that we shouldn't be doing <laughs> until somebody says, don't do them. Yeah. And so... That means that whilst we haven't got the formal powers and the levers that we need, sometimes we're pushing at the, the boundaries of what we can achieve anyway. But if it was working in partnership with a government who actually wanted to do the things like levelling up, that would make it so much easier. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we've never kind of stuck to the, <laughs> to the letter of our agreements. One thing I've kind of felt is the government not necessarily the you know the politicians the civil service it doesn't like the idea that the northwest now answers back if they are doing the wrong thing uh, when it comes to rail or or any other issue they just they're struggling to to cope with that now we are pretty clear about this aren't we we don't play politics in the role you know as the as the way of going about the role it's place first mm-hmm. and it's really important about the mayoral role you, you, you know People voted for Steve, who vote for other political parties, but they voted for him because they they trust him. He's an authentic voice uh, of 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 the wider Liverpool City region, Merseyside area, and the same the same with me. And we we respect that fact. So I had a rule when I came into the job that I wouldn't just pointlessly seek to criticise the government, score points, and all of that. I I said that if they get it right, I will say so, and I will thank them, and I'll say. Okay, we want more of that. If they get it wrong, though, I will call them out in the most direct terms I can, learning from my Westminster experience. So two quick examples, Gordon. They got it right recently on transport investment. So we got a billion pounds, you got three quarters of a a billion. And we said so, both of us, and we just played that straight. But people might remember 2020, when they didn't do right by people in my part of the world. They tried to force us into tier three, shut down pubs, betting shops, bingo halls, and then pay people just two-thirds of their wages, people on low wages, bear in mind. Mm. And then I called that out in the strongest way I possibly could because it was wrong. 
And that's the way we're going about it. You know, sometimes you kind of see the Scottish government just picking fights with Westminster for the sake of it. Well, we're not doing that. We're trying to play it straight, aren't we? And and I, I hope that's uh, coming through uh, in in what we say and how we go about things. How many times did Boris Johnson talk to either you or Steve? I've I just been thinking that through. I think three conversations. One, no, two on my own with him and one all of us, uh, all of us as mayors. Uh, and the last one was of the day when it was all going a bit, <laughs> a bit wrong. But, but so, so when it came to the preparations for dealing with all the different things like testing and uh, lockdowns and furloughs, you, you weren't really consulted? No, and we, we, we actually, um, both of us together, appeared many times, didn't we? And we made calls through the pandemic that I would like to think were proven to be right. You know, for instance, we said at the very start, do not uh, centralise test and trace, and, w- and certainly do not outsource test and trace. Localise it, and that's the theme of this discussion, isn't it? You know, you get better uh, decisions when you localise. They didn't do that, and it was just a disaster, wasn't it? We spent a lot of 2020 trying to kind of work around and fix test and trace, wasn't it? Just it was the difference between. I mean, this is the simple difference. They had an outsourced operation that was using call centres. No, who answers the phone now to a num- you know unknown number? I mean, people just aren't at home answering the landline in the way that they were. To- and we had teams who would have gone, well, were in the end doing door knocking and they were getting hold of people. And we told them they didn't do it. Vaccination, to be fair, they then listened and it was more locally driven and it was much better. But they, they wouldn't give us access to data. No, they wouldn't. Um, and yeah. then we battled hard on furlough because... We were going into the higher tiers and then the government was saying they were only going to give two-thirds of what they'd previously given um, for self-isolation payments. And, and quite rightly, we said no, because so this they, is happening they, in the north. They wouldn't give you information about the incidence of no. disease by locality so that you could know where the problems were. No, exactly. We, we had and, to run a what real... Was explanation for that? Well, there wasn't one. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't one. I mean, we, we ran a really strong campaign about this. Um, because we actually proved to them in the law, uh, COVID-19, a communicable disease. I mean, I know obviously you and I dealt with a much more minor pandemic, swine flu, and when I was your health secretary. So I knew, obviously, the law in this area. And we had to show them the law to make them give data, basic data about infection uh, to directors of public health. And they tried to stop it being personal data, didn't they? And then in the end, because... They tried to anonymise it. It was no good. And, and so this was a mentality that the centre knew best. Yes. Oh, oh, million percent, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what do you think needs to be changed to, so that that doesn't happen again? I mean, is there got to be laws that require the central government to do things? Or is there just got to be better relationships that are built up over a long period of time? Or have you got to have access to the key committees uh, like COBRA, which is the, you know, the, the, the main uh, crisis committee? It, 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 what's the answer to this to change things? I, I think it is a, a constitutional answer. I think by rights, you, you have to have... If you're going to run good government at any level of the UK, you need access to the information, don't you? You need you need to be in the room. So, you know, yeah, I think this needs to be sort of codified, I, I would say, in, a, in, in some kind of a agreement. So the reform of the centre is a, an essential part the, of improving devolution. The problem with the centre is, and you know, you, we'll know, we both know this from our time there, it wants to make Steve, myself, Andy Street, you've always got to go on bended knee for something, haven't you? Yeah. Um, you know, we won't speak out about anything because we're, we're trying to win something from you. So we'll kind of, and it wants people to go with this tug, tugging your forelock, bended knee. 
the centre holds all the power, therefore it can treat you in the way that it wants to treat you. And I think that's got to change. You've got to break their hold on power and just establish these new uh, uh, entities in the regions in a much more firmer firmer footing. I think it was slightly more sinister, if I'm absolutely honest, Gordon. Um, and that was that what they were trying to do is to almost experiment and then to use us as the patsies to blame us if mm. it didn't go right. Uh, but then to take the credit for anything that did go right. And I, I thought that that left a real bitter taste in my mouth. And I'm absolutely certain that in this public inquiry, when we have it and if we get the terms of reference right, a lot of this will come out and damage Johnson because it was so obvious to us. He tried to play us off one against another um, and we, we, we speak to each other every day. So we knew what their tactics were and we were saying, well... We, you know, you need to do this and I need to do that sort of stuff. Um, but even when we went into the highest tier, what happened was that for five weeks we were in the highest tier and then we came out and we were the only ones who came out into a lower tier. But everywhere around us was in the highest tier. So we it created an island where everybody came in because we were the ones open with pubs and clubs and everything open. And our infection rates skyrocketed um, you should have seen the spike afterwards just after Christmas well we told them this was going to happen but they wouldn't give us any of the tools to either stop it from happening or to respond to those um, blips afterwards they just le- le- left it, left us to it and we had two examples one from the UK government one from the Scottish government so the UK government closed down pubs restaurants or hospitality in Bolton overnight without any warning and didn't give them any compensation um, and that was traumatic for people there and then obviously the Scottish government just imposed a travel ban without again any notification or warning the same time they were letting 20,000 people travel to London <laughs> <laughs> um, so the centre in both London and Edinburgh actually behaved quite arrogantly towards mm-hmm. us didn't it um, and I think that that comes when there's too much power in any centre. If you've got too much power in one place, it behaves arrogantly, I think. And we saw that throughout the pandemic. So you've got to have constitutional requirements on them to consult, to listen, and indeed involve you in decisions. You've got to have some form of uh, meeting place, some sort of forum where you can actually put your views so you're not just ignored. Uh, And you need to strengthen your local uh, authority in relation to central government. Otherwise... Uh, central government will tend to ignore you. Yeah. So you, you've got to do all these things, is that right? Well, I hope you're going to help us get all of these <laughs> things. But you're right, that's a really good summary. Uh, and uh, and Scotland would benefit from that too. Massively. Um, I, you know, I, I see people and speak to people even in Scotland now, friends. Um, Stephen and, Gerrard. <laughs> but they, they don't feel any more empowered because Scotland's got devolution. Because they haven't got devolution. It's gone to the centre in Scotland. So the only way that you truly do it is that subsidiarity thing where you know you try to get that power down to the lowest level that you possibly can. So the lesson for modern democracy is you've got to make decisions as close to the people as possible and wherever possible. I would say so. We, we, we were discussing with um, the, the new uh, Scottish Labour leader last night about transport. You know, and I was, just, I was surprised to learn that transport in Edinburgh is much cheaper than transport in Glasgow. You know... I think whenever you have political power, as you were saying before, Steve, focused on one area, 
the area in which that national system is based will benefit more than the more outlying area. It's just that is just I think what happens, isn't it? You over centralise power, it benefits some geographies more than others. Yeah. And I think you've definitely got that, I would say, in 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 England, but you've possibly got it in Scotland as well. And I think just on the last point, Gordon, you can devolve power, but also the people who are behind, you know, the power behind the throne, the civil servants, you need to get them out of their ivory towers as well in Whitehall and Westminster and go and live in the real world. I'm telling you, if, um, you know, 10,000 civil servants lived in Kirby, Kirby wouldn't be left behind the way it has been for generations. Well, there's no better opportunity to, to, to decentralise the civil service than that. Because yeah. people want to work from uh, different places. They don't necessarily want to work in uh, big uh, conurbations in London. Yeah. So. I want to work from here, from your office. I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking out on the like, best view yeah. I've ever seen from an office. Well, I, I, I can't <laughs> promise you could be mayor of Fife. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could be. <laughs> so what powers do you actually need uh, for the next five years, the next ten years? Is it in health and uh, social work areas? Is it in training and education? Is it in planning and uh, housing and transport? What are the powers you would actually like to have to well, enable you to do a better job? I'll let Steve talk about this because it's, it's been the thing that he's brought most to this English devolution issue, which is skills, skills. because we both we can't speak to businesses, can we, without them saying, we are just crying out for digital skills, skills in the green economy. And the skill system that we have is just not responsive enough to those needs. I was reading something today and it said um, we're encouraging people to use electric vehicles, quite rightly so, um, but we haven't trained up enough engineers or mechanics to actually deal with the problems that will come from those vehicles. And this is typical of this government for me. It's um, that they seem to get around a sound bite and then everybody runs around and does things but actually there's no real strategic plan you know what happens if we do this what are the consequences what ramifications might there be for sectors and we've seen it in our own area I mean just over the, the last um, six months or so we saw the HGV stuff that happened well again we spoke to governments and we're saying we can help you to achieve your targets if you work with us and we've got um, skills assessments of all of those relevant sectors and we know what our demand is going to be so we can align supply with that demand government can't do that from Whitehall and Westminster for us skills is a massive one isn't it you know yeah. I think more control over the transport system so I've taken the decision to put buses back under public control and that's the first time in 35 years in Greater Manchester deregulation has been a disaster um, and because I've taken that decision, we can now create the country's biggest integrated system outside of London. Uh, and what I keep saying is with London level fares. So if we are not just given the powers, but also the funding to, to get the revenue subsidy into the system, uh, £1.55 per bus journey would be a game changer, not just for us, but for you as well, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. It would open up people to opportunity that they can't currently currently get to. So powers over skills and transport. You see, rail is, is the outlier, and we would both... Mersey Rail is different because Steve runs his, his rail system. We don't. And we increasingly want to build You know what Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson did and now Sadiq Khan, where you've... Over those 20 years, since the creation of the Mayor of London, you've integrated this system. And London today is a world-leading transport system. 
we're on a journey to do the same, but 20 years behind. But we want the same level of support mm. that they've always given to the capital city. And what about economic clusters, about new jobs for the future? I mean, have you got an idea of where the Liverpool region and the Manchester region can actually create world-beating industries, world-beating technologies? And so we don't just look to the Cambridge-Oxford triangle. We look to uh, what were the heartlands of the Industrial Revolution to actually be the heartlands of the next you know, the next move forward for, for the economy. We, we are very keen on um, speaking to the government about uh, more R&D coming our way, but we have to then prove the business case beyond, I think, what the Golden Triangle has to do. So in our area, for instance, people might be surprised that we've got the most sophisticated computer in the whole country. Everyone will think it's in Cambridge or Oxford or, or London. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's in... Um, SciTech and Darsbury mm. and we want to use that facility to do things that then encourage that cluster and effect so we've got two great schemes both myself and Andy are supporting something called the Heath which is in Runcorn um, we've got in Liverpool something called the Hill and the Royal College of Physicians chose its northern home in Liverpool and it shows you I mean it's totemic really it, mm. it's, it's to demonstrate that we really are serious about this cluster and effect, working with our great universities mm. and then pulling the whole thing together for a long-term strategy to take advantage and, and to optimise what comes out of the Green Industrial Revolution. Have you not just got an institute on pandemic science as well? We've got a national pandemic institution and what happened there was it, it took investment from America to come in, but we need that preparedness. If anything, over the last two years has taught us that despite the fact that we don't know when the next pandemic is coming, something will happen yeah. and we need to be prepared for it. I mean, we're strong in life sciences too and, and health. We have a degree of health devolution, but that's building out across the northwest. There's a hydrogen pipeline that's just got the go-ahead yeah. that will link um, your area and, and ours and Trafford Park, which is a you know, big industrial estate. I'm always quite proud to say Manchester is currently Europe's fastest-growing digital and tech hub. Media City played a part in that, and you you played a big part in bringing Media City to Salford Gordon, and that's been uh, huge, you know, massive uh, for us. But but now GCHQ have followed, and they have got a, an innovation hub in Manchester, and that's developing our cyber industry. And we were just at um, an event yesterday, weren't we, where the University of Manchester were there, and they were showing how graphene mm. discovered in Manchester is starting to go into industrial <coughs> applications, concrete. You're a bit, yeah. you were an ex-bricky from Kirby. Indeed. You know all about um, uh, good building materials. And we were looking, weren't we, at Staggering. graphene in concrete, which actually can transform the lifetime of buildings and, and building processes. So it's happening. It is happening. We led the first industrial revolution. We did, and that's you know that's no uh, idle boast. That's true, um, and we've seen deindustrialization, haven't we, since since then, certainly the twentieth century. But we can now lead the next industrial revolution from the northwest of England. So come to Scotland. What, what's your advice, or what would you think would be good if there were directly elected mayors or provosts in Scotland? So Aberdeen, Glasgow, these regions, Edinburgh, they all had directly elected. Uh, you would call them mayors in Scotland. We call them provosts. Isn't the problem that devolution has come from London but then been centralised in Scotland and it's not true devolution unless you get out of Edinburgh and into those important um, areas. I mean, we're in Glasgow uh, for COP26 
Uh, and actually, it's in need, I think, of a bit of tender love and care. It needs some um, devolution to get there so that they can start to do things for themselves again. And I, I've always said that. For me, it's about giving somebody the opportunity to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. No one's asking for handouts. They're asking for the opportunity to do things differently. And, and that's what, as far as I can see, uh, in the areas that I, I know in Scotland, that's what's happened. It's been centralised in Holyrood instead of being devolved out to the people who need it. I think we, we would say we've both got more in common with Glasgow, haven't we, than... Yeah. Um, uh, than, or than London or possibly even Birmingham, I don't know, you know, because there's big ties there, isn't there, if you go back uh, over over time. Um, I think it would be a great thing if if devolution came to the Scottish uh, cities and city regions because it would allow us to have a conversation at that level, wouldn't it, a place-based conversation at, at that at that level. And, and that would be good because I think we could do things with Glasgow, couldn't we, uh, on that West Coast, as you particularly have got mm. lots of ties and I think this is the um, this is the the issue, isn't it? You know, when we got back to that referendum in 2014, I, I think we both felt because we came up here, didn't we? A kind of real worry about it because the north of England has more natural affinity with Scotland than it does with the south of England. Yeah. And I don't know if people here realise that, but it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And there was a feeling of. God, you're not going to leave us on our own with, with them, are you? And, and I, I don't know whether, you know, people here want to come, come back to that because we have got common ties and bonds here across the cities. And the thing for me, Gordon, this is a really important point, you know, reflecting on my time in Westminster, working with you, you know, so grateful for those experiences. But actually, I can see the shortcomings of Westminster much more clearly from this vantage point. And one of the big ones is, it puts party and politics before place and people's lives. And if you start with place and people's lives, as we do as mayors, because we're required to do, and you take the politics out of things, you start to build bonds with people again, and you start to have conversations again, and, it, and things are just better done in, in that way. I look back to the summer of last year, when Nicola Sturgeon imposed the travel ban on uh, not just Manchester, it was Salford and Bolton as well. It just came over to me that, regions and cities didn't kind of feature we were like so insignificant that you could just kind of slap a ban on us without not even it wasn't the case of even consulting us didn't even notify us that they, they were they were doing it and it just made me think well how do they regard their own cities and, and regions in scotland if if that's how they treat us you know the thing last just a last thought on this the drive to net zero will have to be won bottom up rather than top down i don't think you can legislate your way there I think you've got to free up places to go at this fast, haven't you, with universities behind it. It's what's what we're doing, isn't yeah. it? And I, and I think if Scottish cities are left behind in that, I just don't think that will be in Scotland's interest. So I think the idea of mayors or provosts or whatever they would be called here in the big city regions of Scotland, it would just be great for us, wouldn't it? Because the bonds between the north of England and Scotland will get stronger again. So you see the possibility, just as the cities are cooperating on climate change right across the world, you see the possibility, say, on employment or, say, on new industries and technologies of cooperation between Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, yeah. Dundee, all that could actually happen and could be very effective. Yeah. And we're both on um, something called the Bloomberg-Harvard um, City Leadership Course, and Mike Bloomberg actually said exactly yeah. that. He said, you know, cities are where the problems are, mm. but cities are where the solutions will be found. Yeah. And that's only by working together. And 
you've got to get away from that sort of parochial view of everything. It's great to support and, and stand up and campaign for your area, but actually you can learn an awful lot from other areas around the world. And we had mayors from literally all over the world and learned so much from that. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to be thinking about, we all live on this planet, we all live on this globe. What can we do to improve the lives of everybody around it? So in a way, Scotland's an outlier at the moment because other countries have cities that are recognised in the constitution and Scotland is too centralised. I'm going to pull you up on something you said earlier because you said England is the most over-centralised country in the OECD. And that might be true because that was in... Or or it might used to have been true. But I would imagine that Scotland has got as a competitor for that now because, you know, I, I, yeah. I've never understood how it makes sense to kind of hoover up power out of places and communities to build brand Scotland or so police Scotland or you know fire service Scotland, I think it's called, isn't it? You know, that, in this day and age, people want more connection, don't they? They want more decisions taken closer to where they live. I mean, how you can run everything for the islands and the highlands from one room somewhere, or where, I don't see how that works. And I do think Scotland becomes... An outlier. Mayors are getting stronger everywhere, aren't yeah. they? I mean, we yeah. felt England was behind, didn't we, when we met those other mayors at Bloomberg, and, and we're kind of catching up in England. But Scotland's even further behind when it comes to empowering people at a, a very local level. Right. So working together is the future model. Cooperation across the United Kingdom, not just between every area and London, but between all the different regions and uh, mayors working together. That, that, is, that is the way of the future, in England anyway. We, we, yeah. I was going to say, we have it. So <clears throat> we, we have something called the M10, which is the 10 Metro Mayors, so Sadiq, uh, Andy, myself, and then the, the other seven. And it is cross-party, but also the geography is really important because a lot of us represent the North, but we've also got the Midlands and we've also yeah. got London there. I think we're about 50 or 60% yeah. of the population and... Uh, a, a little bit more of the industrial output. And so would, it's really important that we do speak together. Would you say we, we, people tune in more to what we say as mayors than they ever did when we were in oh, Westminster, don't they? Me, and yeah. I think it's because it's just practical, it's about the place. And I just find the public engage with it a lot more than they ever did with you know, anything from a <clears throat> shadow front bench position or whatever. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? There's, we're all struggling with disengagement from politics, aren't we? Mm. People feeling alienated, you're all the same. I think we feel this has kind of given people an alternative, oh, well, that feels like it's working better, therefore we'll, we'll, we'll focus a little bit, a little bit more on, on that. And I think it is about the future of politics. I know you're doing a review at the moment, Gordon. I think deep devolution to all parts of the UK, mm. to, the, to the cities and the localities, definitely. Whatever can be devolved should be. But then I think... You were asking about reforms. We need a Senate of the nations and regions. It, the Lords needs to be abolished, and we need to create a Senate, in my view, for the nations and regions, so that every part of the country has got more power for themselves, but they can look down the road and they can see themselves fairly and proportionately represented in the national parliament. And I hope you might be able to support that when you yeah, <laughs> bring you, forward your review. And you would also favour a council of the regions where the, the government of the day got together with all the mayors and all the different local authorities to talk about the big issues, because you you have no formal method no. of consultation. You were the only one who went to Cobra in in the pandemic, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, and, and Nicholas Sturgeon was experience. on that one. Yeah, it was actually, um, to tell you the truth, because 
um, when you say something, you're expected to be faithfully represented and, and not to be spun at something like Cobra. And I'm afraid the, the Prime Minister is, um, is a great one for um, elaborating overly on something that's being said um, and embellishing it well, too much. So he tried what, to divide and rule us, didn't he? That's he? exactly he, what he had this thing do. where, oh, Steve Rotherham was marvellous in, in, in the Oh, God, it was terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so getting everybody around the same table is better than him picking you off one by one. But they tried to do that. So but they, can never, they could never break us, you see. I mean, seriously, no, no. nobody could do that. So, and so, so yeah. in addition to the sort of Senate for the Nations and Regions, you actually want a decision-making council of yeah. the regions and possibly council of the regions and nations where councils of cities, regions and nations perhaps, where you actually come together to look at common issues and you actually can, can, can make some of the big decisions there because you, you are going to have to implement many of them anyway. Yeah, Definitely. and there's a lot Definitely. of commonality. I mm. mean, you know, climate emergency, again, we're in COP, aren't we? But that, that's familiar to every single mm. leading politician yeah. in the world, but certainly in our country we, we need that collaboration because the things that we can learn from each other, but also things, for instance, that we're leading on, that we would be happy yeah. to, to share with others. So the, the stuff that we're doing on, on hydrogen, uh, which is called the HiNet project, I'd be more than happy to, to share that with anyone. I think we need to say something that's a little bit challenging at this point, which is our own party, all three of us, has not embraced this enough yet. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say it as it is, because it needs to. I mean, I think this is a way back for Labour, actually, mm -hmm. because the way we do things and the way we advocate from a place-based perspective, the north of England will buy into that because it can feel that it's coming from the right the right place. And and yet, the Labour Party is still lukewarm, isn't it, about, about this whole thing? I mean, Steve and I have no role in party structures or, you know, we don't get invited to speak at the annual conference. And I, and I do think there's some, you know, you know Keir's given us some encouragement on this front, that the party does need to change. I think it can be English devolution and hopefully Scottish devolution at one point might be a, a life raft for Labour because we bring la in Labour policies without a Labour government. So I have a free bus pass for all 16 to 18-year-olds in Greater Manchester. I mean, that is a Labour policy that changes lives. We don't have to have a Labour government to deliver it. And I just think the party's got to understand that this is a different way of doing politics. It's a better way of doing it because it connects better. And you can bring forward progressive policies without a Labour government. So the roots of dissatisfaction in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland to some extent, but, but also in all the different parts of England, are very similar. People don't feel they're listened to. People yep. feel, in some cases, they're treated as second-class citizens and, yep. they're, and they're not, and they're not uh, brought into the decision-making process. Uh, and the way forward is, is similar, although different areas may move differently uh, at different paces. That's right. Some, some areas may want to move quicker than others to get a divorce We'll always settlement. be faster than them, definitely. I mean, we're, 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 we're way out. <laughs> They're catch, you're catching up, I think. No, but people will move at different play, at speeds. I mean, there's no, there's no problem with that, I don't think. I mean, as long as everyone's on the journey, I think that's the way we see it, isn't it? I don't want Manchester to be the London of the North. You know, I don't want other areas to look at what Steve's got in Liverpool or what I've got and be resentful of that or feeling shut out from that. Because that's another recipe for division, isn't it? Mm. So we need... Devolution to be available to every part of the UK at a deep level, and then everyone to be on their own journey at their own pace to, to use that. The, the alienation that people in Glasgow, because I've lived here, um, so I, I can speak a little bit about it, but that sort of left behind feeling is exactly the same as people in Kirby, where I'm from, or in the Liverpool City region that I represent. It's exactly the same, and in all honesty, we've probably got 
more in common, as, as Andy said, with people in Glasgow or you know even out, outside the UK in Dublin um, than London, um, who for me have always been that slightly you know what's in the best interest of the M25 corridor type thing first, rather than what's in the best interest of the country. So I I, I would say if you have a look at what happened in our lowest moment uh, of recent history, Hillsborough, where did we go to play our first game? It was in Scotland. It was it was it was in Celtic Park, you know, in Parkhead, and 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 it was against Celtic. And all of that outpour and that feeling, I think, is because people there understood what we were going through. When people in our own country, if you like, in England, had let us, so you now both sing the same anthem. You'll never walk alone. We do. Celtic and yeah. Liverpool. Frustrating for me because. <laughs> Most Evertonians are Celtic sports, like my good, like my good self. But Steve makes a point about Hillsborough and your role in unlocking Hillsborough Indeed. is not forgotten, is it? Right, certainly by us. And you know, you, we're, we're having COP in the very same building where the cabinet met, where you backed me. Yeah, well, you played a major role, Andy. Well, you backed me that day when we were in that that cabinet meeting. It was the day after the twentieth anniversary. But see, Steve's making a really important point here because this issue, I think, it almost crystallises everything we've been talking about. How can it be? an entire English city and I'm saying an entire city was crying injustice for 20 years and the country in Westminster could not hear that, that those cries and didn't act didn't act on them and we're all, you know we all have a culpability to some degree me included for, for oh, that but that tells you this is so London centric the way that yeah. the, the, the country needs to be completely rewired in my view it needs to have you know power devolved out Senate of the nations and regions, and I would ref- personally, I don't know whether this is where you are, but I've come round to proportional representation for, for where, where, elections. When you look at now at uh, the qualities of what it is to be a mayor, so let's say it's the Scottish uh, people supported what I'm uh, proposing also, a directly elected provost in Scotland, what are the real qualities you think are needed? You, you both said you've got to have a very strong commitment to your local area. Yeah. You, you've got to feel it. You can't just uh, no. be sort of imported in one way or another. But what what are the negotiating skills and others that you think are going to be needed for successful mayors in in, in the future? I'd say authenticity is really important, mm-hmm. but patience. I am not mm-hmm. a very patient person. Um, my mum never swore, but she said I was an impatient bee, and I don't think she was talking about the thing that flies. Um, and so... The wheels turn very, very slowly. You'll know this in government yourself. Um, when you're desperate to get something done and then all of a sudden the machinery kicks in and slows it down. So I'm trying to find ways of circumventing the machinery if it's going to slow me down. And what I think we'd like to do is to have those additional powers and those levers so that we can act and, and then be held accountable for those actions. That, that'd be the best way of doing it. I think a couple of things I would say on, I agree with everything Steve's just said, You've got to have a, a degree of independence of thought because you are there for the place and, and actually nothing can sway you from, from that. You've got to yeah. always call it for the place, haven't mm-hmm. you? And if that grates a little bit with people in London that you know, or it, you've just got to do that because that's what you're there, you're there to do. Give that place a voice. But then slightly more positively, I think you've got to be someone who can reach out and isn't always playing the point scoring game or, you know, and, and, you know, Steve is somebody that people warm to and can work with. You know, I, I try, as the longer I've been in politics, the less I've done that sort of point scoring thing, the more I've tried to re- reach out and, 
work with people where you can. And I think that, in the end, is what these roles need, isn't it? People who will who will do uh, do those things and feedback, and you get you're in touch with people locally. You're listening all the time, yeah. all the time, and all the time. Have you developed better mechanisms of yeah. feeding back and listening to people? Do you feel that you can do this better than when you were MPs? Uh, most I, think, better. I think so. I yeah, think so. most better. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you work in Liverpool City Centre. I work in Manchester City Centre. I go out for a pint. I go out watching music, and I like just picking up the straws in the wind. You know, just things, little things people say. You know, you go on the tram just to see what you know. You, you just you live your life in the city, and it keeps you, you know, very rooted, doesn't it? I mean, most people are good, aren't they? They'll come up and they'll give you a bit of good. Well-meaning advice, but when scousers call, don't tend to hold back if they're no, not happy about no, it. Yes. <laughs> when they call you Andy, it's fine. When it's Mr. Burnham, I know exactly. You know, something bad. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I find that um, I get public transport, so I get the train to work every day, and people will say, you know. Um, we need to do more about X, Y, or Z, and I'd say I'd love to. Um, unfortunately, I'm not the president. I am <laughs> the, the Metro Mayor, so we, we we have to work within the mechanisms that are there. Yeah. But that feedback, that sort of um, anecdotal nature of people telling you stuff, it's really important oh, when yeah. you're developing policy. And do they? I, I think you've got to really live it with people, haven't you? And it's the old suffragette phrase: "Deeds, not words." Yeah. Really matters, doesn't it? And it does. you live life. By example, do what everyone else is doing. Be seen to to be doing all of all of that. I've done a lot of work on homelessness, and mm. I began by doing a lot of walk arounds the city centre. I donate a little bit of my salary to that. I just think showing that you are absolutely in it with them, you know, and living the same life as everybody is is critically important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah working from home doesn't mean working from a Caribbean island. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not being a mayor from a Caribbean uh, island. Uh, you could do I'd it from the Wirral, but I don't know if you no, could do it. I'd have a go. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, Luke, thank you very much for this. Um, I, I think the debate about devolution is going to move uh, over the next few years, but I think one of the reasons it is moving is the success of uh, Metro Mayors, and I think that's one of the big things in British politics that's going to change things over the next five or, or, or ten years, and you guys have been leading the way, so thank you very much. Well, for us to hear that from you, for the two of us to hear that from you, means a great deal. So thank, thank you, Lord. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks,